Today, we're going to talk about steal the spear. Now, when I was thinking about this, I, I keep going back to our family worship day back in August when we went out to Lakeview Camp. That was so much fun, from fishing, from our outdoor uh, worship service to picnic, to I went to the jump pillow, and I don't even remember who I jumped on the jump pillow with, and, and, but one of my absolute favorite memories from that day was Blacklight Dodgeball. Blacklight Dodgeball was so fun. It was crazy. It was wild. There was tons of laughter and some whining when certain teams didn't win. Now, what I was thinking about it is so much fun in dodgeball when all the ammunition is on your side of the line. You see people that aren't normally cocky start throwing the ball up, going, come on, sucker, come on, you know, trying to get up. But when, but when all the ball's on the other side, all the ammunition is over there, there's not near as much cockiness. They're hiding against the wall. You'll even throw your friends in front of you to save yourself, right, when you're playing dodgeball. Well, on one such occasion, all of the balls were on the other side, and, and we're hiding back there at the back, and one starts rolling towards the middle, now, you know, you know, if you have all the balls and ones rolling towards the middle, you're just daring some idiot to run to the line and get it so you can blast him. I was the idiot. I start running towards that line and, and about four feet from the line and four feet from the ball, I realize I have been suckered. And there are two people with balls and they are coming. They are just going to smash me. Now, I have to tell you that it was with, with, with sheer skill and cat-like dexterity, I dodged those balls. It, in my mind, I was Neo in the Matrix, and I was doing all of this. And I don't know what it looked like. Probably looked like a stuck pig trying to get out of a mud puddle. I don't know. But somehow they missed me, and I was like, yes, I'm the best. I don't know if we won that one or not, but I did. I did. And you know, I have not given those missers the ones who missed me, I've, I've not taunted them until now. And you know who you are. They're not here today, but I'm hoping they watch online as we taunt them. Now, it's fun when it's a game. And you know all that's going to happen is that rubber ball is going to bounce off of you, right? It's not nearly so fun when what's being thrown at you is slander, judgment, gossip, negativity, or hate. What do you do when that comes your way? When someone deliberately chooses to sin against you, how do you handle that? How do you respond? This is, this is very important because it's not a matter of if you're going to be hurt. It is a matter of when. And can I let you in on a little secret? You're going to get hurt in church too. And, and the saddest thing to me is when people leave church because another person hurt them because we're sinful and we're going to hurt you not... Not intentionally. Some of you is intentional. All right, we'll just admit that. Some of you is intentional. But, but we're, not, we're not trying to hurt people. And, and a lot of times folks will get hurt and they'll leave and, and they, never, they never follow the scripture and go to the person. So sometimes we don't even know why they leave. Well, so far in this series, we've looked at two different sources of pain, and it's real important for you to know the source of your pain because if, if you don't know the source, you're going you're gonna to respond in the wrong way. So we said that this is a sinful world. When Adam chose to eat that fruit, sin entered the world. It threw open the door to Satan and all of the hosts of evil to come in. And the world, I, I, I got to tell you, evolution is not what's happening, at least spiritually, it's devolution. Right? We're going backwards. Would you say that people are nicer and kinder today than 100 years ago? 
thousand years ago? No, no, it's getting worse because when Satan, when Adam sinned, Satan came rushing in through that door. And so we live in a fallen world and there's just some stuff that's going to hurt us because we live in a messed up world and it's not going to be fixed until Jesus comes back. So we just have to admit that. The second week we looked at um, spiritual attack. Got to get the right one. We looked at spiritual attack and we said that sometimes the enemy of God has his sights directly upon you and he wants to take you out. Jesus was very clear. There's a heaven, there's a hell. There are angels of heaven, there are demons of hell and the demons of hell want to destroy you. He's a liar. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his, his whole game plan is the enemy of God wants to mess you up and make sure that you don't walk in victory. Now today, we're going to look at a source of, of pain that I think we're probably way too familiar with, and that's other people's choices to sin. Have you been sinned against? How many of you are married? You've been sinned against in your marriage? Yes, you have. So we're going to look at this today, and, and we're going to try to figure out what to do when somebody deliberately chooses to hurt you. And here's why this is important, because if you don't let God transform your pain, you will transfer that pain to others. You'll take what the devil means to destroy you, but what, the, what God meant for good, and you'll transfer it onto other people, and you will perpetuate the cycle. Now, we need to acknowledge, we need to acknowledge when people have, have sinned against us. Sweeping it under the rug does not help. Time does not heal all wounds. John always talks to me about debriding wounds. And I think of this spiritually. If you don't debride a wound that you've got to cut and it's, it's got some, some contamination in it, what happens? Does time heal that wound? No, was it, John, what does it do? It what? Scars up, it gets infected, it can fester, it oozes. You ever seen any of that? Any seen some oozing pain? Well, I, if we could see into the spiritual world, we would see a lot of people who are oozing pain because time does not heal all wounds. It causes it to fester and become infected. Now, have you ever met someone who never got over their pain? Yes, right? Okay. What do they do? You meet them years later, and they're still angry. They're still bitter. They're still carrying something from their past. Time didn't heal their wounds. They've been carrying that pain so long, they don't even remember where it came from. They just know they're ticked, and they want to take out their pain on everybody. You know people like that? Are they just super fun to be around? No. I'm not going to ask you if you're married to that person because that would cause problems today. The reason they're mad is because of this. Stuffed pain produces more pain. It doesn't get well unless you bring it out into the light and deal with it God's way. One of the things that we say over and over and celebrate recovery is hurt people hurt people. Some of it's intentional, some of it's not intentional, but, but there's going to be pain. And, and if you don't let God do something with it, step three is your higher power has a name. His name is Jesus, and you don't get well until you turn all of your life over to his care and control. If you'll let him transform you, this is big. God wants to heal us because hurt people can heal people with God's help. That means he can redeem your pain and he can use you to reach someone else who's going through the same pain. That's what it means to let God transform your pain is to heal you so you can help others. Now we're going to look at a story. Last week we looked at David and we actually looked later in his life. We're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 if you want to follow along there, please do. But I got to tell you just a little bit about what's going on. 
So in 1 Samuel 17, David fights Goliath, and whether you've been in church or not, who wins that fight? David wins that fight. Now, if you've got all the Israelites on this hill and all the Philistines on this hill, and you've got two guys going out there, one is a giant, and one's probably 17, 16, we don't know how old he was, uh, and, and, the, and the young guy, the little guy, wins, is the little guy going to be famous? Everybody's going to know. This should not have happened. I mean, you see the underdog win. Everybody's going to know. It'd be in all the papers. It'd be on the internet. Somebody do a TikTok about it, right? Everything, everybody's going to know. Now, he became so famous that they wrote a song about him. And here it is in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, so this is right after he had killed Goliath, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, the Jews were notorious for exaggeration, especially when they're celebrating. But what they're saying is David's killing Goliath opened up the floodgates for all of the Israelites. They got suddenly gained courage when Goliath was dead and they chased the Philistines. They rout the Philistines that day. And so when they wrote this song, they're giving David credit for opening up the slaying of tens of thousands of people. They're just, they're just, they're singing the truth. So here's, here's what, how Saul as, as they danced, they sang Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul was what? Okay, now you know normally I put yellow up here, but I want you, I'm putting up some red today because we're going to talk about things that are not of God. This was not of God. So Saul was what? Very angry. This refrain, refrain did what? Displeased him greatly. And here's what he says. He's talking to himself. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. I've only killed thousands. David's more famous than me. He jumps from that, from this song, one victory for David, to what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul, what did he do? He kept a close eye. Was it a a loving, fatherly-like eye? No, no, no. Okay, a couple of questions. First one, did David do anything wrong when he fought and killed Goliath? Was everything David did right that day? Yes, very much so. Second thing, did David write the song the women sang? He wrote a lot of songs. Hey, ladies, sing this for me. Was that David? No. Why was Saul so upset? I think it's because he's insecure. Who should have fought Goliath? Do you know anything about the story of Saul becoming king? When Saul was anointed king, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. You got a big dude out on the, on the battlefield who says, send me your warrior, who will fight me? That's what, that's what it says on VeggieTales. And, and if you're an Israelite and, and Goliath hops out there, you know, the big pickle, and says, who will fight me? If you're an Israelite, who are you going to pick? If you're a child on the playground and a big bully comes out... And you're going to vote on who's going to fight. Who are you going to send to fight him? The smallest guy? The biggest guy? Hey, dude, (laughs) not my fault Brad Anderson is so tall. Brad, go fight him. I'm just 5'9". I shouldn't be the one to fight. I mean, this this is kind of... And then David shows up and he fights. 
Saul refused to do his duty. So watch this. God raised up a boy to do a man's job. A mark, and and I changed this on your listening guide, so if you want to write this in, a mark of insecurity, add insecurity to where it says bitterness. I got both there. A mark of insecurity slash bitterness is unfounded suspicion. You're going to look and see, you're going to find evidence of what you think is true. Now, the enemy, the first step that he's going to take every time in almost every victory is to create division. He did not want David walking in victory because he knew David had already been anointed king. So did Saul by this point. He'd already been anointed king, didn't want him to walk in victory, so he attacks right on the heels of a huge national victory. And can I tell you that the enemy of God is so predictable? He always attacks you right after a major victory because he does not want you walking in victory. He wants you wallowing in self-pity. He wants you like Saul, not like David. Saul was guilty of something that, that we call confirmation bias. And, and here's the definition of it. When people would like a certain idea or concept to be true, they end up believing it to be true. They are motivated by wishful thinking. This error leads the, the individual to stop gathering information when the evidence gathered so far confirms the views or prejudices one would like to be true. So, for example, we walk into church, you think someone's mad at you. When they come into church, they may have just stubbed their toe. They may have a severe gas bubble. And they look at you with a pained expression. You say, see, Caleb's mad at me. Did you see that look he just gave me? George is mad at me. That's confirmation bias. You get just enough information to back up what you already think is true, and you decide you have all the information that you need. Saul began to fill in the gaps and describe certain treasonous actions to David because David killed an enemy. He began to tell himself, himself stories. He's writing a false narrative. Many times, now, not all the time, many times people don't intend to harm you. But we ascribe to them false, you meant to harm me. I mean, that's what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant to harm me, but God meant it for good. He had the right perspective. David did not want to hurt Saul. David stepped up when the man wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. But we find out very quickly that Saul definitely wanted to hurt David because of his insecurity, because of his bitterness. So let's figure out today how to stop insecurity and bitterness in its tracks. So here's the first step. First step, stop judging others solely by their actions while we judge ourselves by our intentions. This is true, right? You give yourself the benefit of the doubt way more than you give other people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, this is something that Janie and I have done through the years. Use this filter. In, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind think on these things. And so when Janie hurts my feelings, which I don't like to admit because I'm a proud, dumb man, I don't like to admit that I have hurt feelings, sometimes I'll walk into our, our bathroom and I'll think, did she mean, is it, is it true that Janie meant to hurt me? No. Who's, who's whispering in my ear that Janie meant to do that? Satan, right. So I can choose to walk in what's true, or I can listen to the liar, the father of lies. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Do you know what the Bible... I, okay, so I've told you this before. When the Bible says, don't you know, it means you don't know. Now, I'm going to ask you this, and I don't want you to be offended, but some of you are going to be offended. 
Do you know what the Bible says to do when you are offended? Okay, some of you are saying it, but, but let me just say, I don't think you do because you don't do it. Here's what the Bible says to do when you're offended. First of all, go to the offending party in private. What do we normally do? We go to someone who's not involved in the offense and we start whispering to get people on our side. Hey, did you, you know what, you know what George did to me? George did this. He said this. He meant this. If we would just go to the offended party and say, hey, here's the second step. Ask for clarity. Help me understand. This is, this is, one, this is a safe phrase that Janie and I say to each other. Help me understand what you were thinking when you said this or when you did this. We've avoided so many fights when we've used that. Just asking for clarity instead of assuming we know what the other person meant. Third step, seek to be reconciled. The Bible says that we, are, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to help people reconcile to God and reconcile to each other. That's what we were put on this planet to do. How many times do people go seeking reconciliation? No, we seek to win. Seek to be reconciled. If you go in that attitude, you're going to be humble. Help me understand. I value our friendship way too much to let the enemy of God divide us. One of my best friends did this when we were working together years ago. I offended him in front of our youth group. I didn't even know I offended him. And, and we got gas at the next place. So we stop and we let all these kids off at Pizza Hut. And we go and we get gas. And my, one of my best friends said, he goes, dude, I love working with you. You're one of my favorite people to hang out with. He said, because of that, I don't want to let this get in between us. And I'm like, what's getting in between us? And he said, what were you thinking when you, when you talked to me that way at that last stop? And I went, I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, I know you didn't mean it. He said, but you made me look about this tall in the eyes of the teenagers. So we, when we went back over there, I had, to, I had to apologize and ask for his forgiveness in front of the teenagers because that's where I did it. If had it been just us, fine. But the principle is if it's done in private, then you re- seek reconciliation in private. If it's done in public, you need to seek reconciliation in public. And then the last thing is keep short accounts. It means forgive. Forgiveness keeps poison from from making your heart black, not the other person. Saul didn't do any of that. He had assumed he had all the information he needed, and you and I do the same thing. And here's why this is such a big deal. When, when When you do this confirmation bias thing, when you don't do these things right here, you throw open the wide the door of your heart, and you ask Satan to come in. Come in and possess my heart, which is the center of my being. Here's how I know this, because I want you to look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 10a. The very next day, a tormenting spirit. What kind of spirit? Tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. Okay, now, we got to back up. There's times when I read a scripture and I go, does that mean what I just said in tormenting spirit from God. Let's back up. Let's back up to chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says this, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. 
An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay, in the Old Testament, before Jesus was was, uh, crucified, before he was resurrected, Jesus said to his disciples, it is better for you if I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will live in you. Jesus could be one person, one place at a time when he was on this earth because he was constrained by his physical body. But the Holy Spirit doesn't have that... um, that constraint. So he comes to live in you. In the Old Testament, he didn't live in you. Couldn't because Jesus hadn't sacrificed for our sins. So God would send the Holy Spirit temporarily on people so that they could carry out his will. As long as they were obedient, Saul was disobedient. The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So this evil spirit, this tormenting spirit is mentioned in in verse 15, 16 of of chapter 16. In verse 23, you jump over to 18, 10, uh, where we are. And then 19, 9, all of this says that an evil spirit from God. Why did God let an evil spirit torment Saul? And in what way was the evil spirit from the Lord? Well, first of all, the evil spirit was from the Lord in that it was allowed by God to harass Saul. God is the creator of all, as as creator of all, everything, every created being is under his authority. And so they cannot, a, a tormenting spirit cannot come into our life unless our heavenly father has allowed it. There's times in scripture where it says God gave them up to their own desires because they were foolish in their, in their hearts. They were hard-hearted, they worshiped idols, or they worshiped something other than the, the real God, and God turns you over. He allows the tormenting spirits to come in because of your actions, because of your attitudes. So that's how it was from the Lord. God allowed him to come and harass him. It is likely that the evil spirit was part of God's judgment on Saul for his disobedience. Two times in Scripture, Saul was just flat out disobedient to the Lord. One time in 1 Samuel 13, another in 1 Samuel 15. As a result of his disobedience, God removed his spirit from Saul and allowed the tormenting evil spirit to attack him. God does not remove his Holy Spirit from believers today, but the Bible says we can quench the Spirit by sinning. That means you can, you can drain all the power of the Holy Spirit out of your life by your repeated choices to sin. He, he doesn't remove his Holy Spirit from you like in the Old Testament, but you can quench the Spirit, and it may feel very much like the same thing when your sins has allowed an evil spirit from the Lord to come and torment you. All right. Back to chapter 18, verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and began to rave in his house like a madman. All right. So I put this in red because really this passage is what I want you to see. There's some bad stuff, not of God, that's going on here. Tormenting spirit, madman. Made him like a madman. Now, David was playing the harp as he did each day. So what happened was Saul um, struggled with fits of depression. When the evil spirit would come on him, it would just be bad. And so they searched the whole kingdom to try to find something that would make him happy. And I don't know what all they tried, but I know the only thing that relieved his depression, the torment, was when David played his harp. Now tell me God doesn't have plans and a sense of humor. David comes and starts playing his harp, and and Saul would go, I cannot imagine going, man, I like harp music. But that's what happened, right? I, I don't get it, but, but Saul, he would relax when David would play the harp. So David must have been a skilled musician. David was playing the harp as he did each day. Now look at this. But Saul had a spear. All right, you got a tormenting spirit. You're acting like a madman. You don't need a spear. Somebody take the spear from homeboy. 
Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But with unbelievable skill and cat-like dexterity, David escaped him twice. Now look at this, because this is a, wait a minute, what? Finally, or, oh, sorry, he escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David. Now wait a minute. David's got a harp. Saul's got a spear. And, David, and Saul's afraid of David? Yes, for the Lord was with him. He was with David and had turned away from Saul. So Saul thinks to, his, to himself, finally Saul sent him away and pointed him commander over 1,000 men. So Saul's thinking, if I can't kill him, let's send him up against the, 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 the most difficult enemy we have right now is the Philistines. Let's let him go fight. Maybe they'll kill him. And then I, I won't be the one to blame. He's got it all figured out. Except David faithfully led his troops in battle. David continued to see, succeed in everything he did. Why? For the Lord was with him. So I put these in green because this is green light. The other's red light. You got a tormenting spirit. You're a madman. Get rid of the weapons. But if you faithfully follow the Lord, even when people try to hurt you, he's going to turn it around for his glory. This is the green light. He faithfully led the troops into battle. He continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. And when Saul, Saul declared himself the enemy, he didn't have to be the enemy of David. But he declared himself, when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. And now look what God did. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops in battle. In in Israel, you were supposed to be at least 20 years old to, to go into battle. But David was such a skilled warrior after he killed Goliath in his teenage years. Saul makes him one of the leaders. And he's so good at it and he's so faithful that God spreads his fame. You see what God's doing? God's setting him up to be the king. Because he'd rejected Saul, and now he was setting David up for success. So, okay, I got a question for you. What is the natural reaction when someone throws a spear at you after you've dodged skillfully? Pick that sucker up and chunk it back. And when you do that, it's a sign of immaturity. 10% 10% of life is... Uh, of of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you respond. This is in my commentaries over and over. I can't even remember how many times I've read this study in Genesis and I'm in 1 Corinthians right now. Commentator says, what life does to you depends on what life finds in you. What did life find in Saul? Was it, was it good or was it gross? What did Saul find in David? Was it good or was it gross? What is life finding in you? Is it good or is it gross? When someone bumps into you, what spills out? It's supernatural not to throw it back. It is natural to pick it up and throw it. It's supernatural not to throw it back, and that's a sign of maturity. I know this because your sin and my sin put Jesus on the cross. We threw the spear at Jesus. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I just I, I have to tell you this. It's a spiritual impossibility to experience the forgiveness of Jesus and not be willing to extend it to others at the same time. You with me? It's impossible to receive forgiveness and grace and not turn around and give forgiveness and grace. 
Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Do you really want him to forgive your sins the way you forgive others? Not if you're like Saul. You can't receive grace and vomit out something that's gross. You can quench the spirit by doing that, but you'll never be filled with the spirit doing that. So what do you do when you're confronted with an offense? Because I'm going to tell you, the enemy's going to give you the opportunity to get revenge by your hand. I guarantee you he's going to try to get you to do it. And revenge may seem sweet, but it rots the hand of the person who takes that spear and throws it back. And what's even worse, you may have an Abishai in your life whispering into your ear, you deserve to take revenge. I have two pastors in my life that have full access to my life. And they can speak into my life at any time. And when, when I've been in the valley of the shadow of death, I call them. I'm always texting them, pray now. And they respond immediately, praying now. And, and they have the right to speak into my life. And when we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I called each of them at, uh, over and over. I'm sure they're like, Doug's calling again. I wish homeboy would figure, figure out his life. And I'd say, hey, here's what's going on. I need you to pray. And they would pray with me. And then I'd, there were times I said, what would you do? And, and they, they both said to me, we can't tell you what to do. And I said, you don't understand. I'm so at the bottom of the valley, I cannot make a decision right now. My mind is not working. Tell me what you would do. And they said, oh, well, in that case, here's what I'd do. And I would follow their advice because I couldn't make a decision on my own. And, and you need people in your life like that. David twice has the opportunity to kill Saul. One before, and we're about to read about another one. The first one, Saul, Saul's trying to kill him, and he's in a cave. The Bible just cracks me up because Saul, uh, David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave, and Saul has to go to the bathroom. And I'm just assuming it's number two because he needs privacy. And so he goes up, and, and where they are in the wilderness, there's, there's caves everywhere. Which cave does Saul go to relieve himself in? The one David's in, and all of David's men are going, God has delivered your enemy today. Let's kill him while he's going to the bathroom. David says, no. The next time, David and his men are up in the wilderness, and, and Saul comes, and they fall asleep. And I, I think God must have told David to go down to the camp because you'll see why. So here's what's happening. Saul and everybody's down in the valley. They're asleep, and they're, when they camp, the king was in the middle and all of the, the mightiest warriors down to the least of the mighty warriors are surrounding him. All of their equipment is right there so they can jump up at a moment's notice and kill anybody who's sneaking into camp. Look what happens. David's up there watching. He says, hey, who will volunteer to go with me? David asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zariah, Joab's brother. Joab was the commander of, of David's army later. I'll go with you, Abishai recalled. Or replied, so David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and Abner's his uh, commander of the army and his soldiers were lying asleep around him. Now, thousands of soldiers are surrounding Saul 
And David and Abishai sneak right up because it says the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Now, Abishai, not really filled with the Spirit of God, says to him, God has surely handed the enemy over to you this time. Abishai whispered to David. I'm sure he whispered, right? There's thousands of soldiers. God has given him into your hands. Look what he says. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of his own spear. And I like this. He's like, I won't need to strike twice. Once. That's all I need. Now, before we even go further, do you think this was the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit whispering to Abishai who was whispering to David? Okay, good. You're with me. No, David said, don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? This is the Old Testament version of get behind me, Satan. When Jesus says that to Peter, because Peter said, Lord, you shouldn't go to the cross. Jesus is like, that's the reason I came. Get behind me, Satan. Abishai is like, kill this guy. And, and, and David's like, absolutely not. David knew the scripture. Um, Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Vengeance belongs to whom? God. And David knew that. David said, absolutely not. He said, um, for who can remain innocent after attack, uh, attacking the Lord's anointed? Abishai saw the enemy. David saw the Lord's anointed. Do you see the difference in perspective? There's your enemy. Let's kill him. David's like, absolutely not. He's anointed of God to lead our country. And then he says, surely the Lord, this is awesome. David knew the scripture. Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he'll die of old age or in battle. This is something that belongs to the Lord, David says. And then he says, the Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. This is where I want you, but take his spear. And that jug of water beside his head. I don't know why he took the jug of water. It's just kind of funny to me. And then let's get out of here. So David took the spear and jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. Now, this is really funny. So David goes back up on the mountain and he goes, Yoo-hoo! Saul! Abner! And they wake up. Saul's like, who is that? Is that you? He says, is that you, David, my son? Oh, yes, it is. Oh, look what I got. I got your spear and your water jug. And then he actually says to Abner, was it Abner? Did I say the right one? Yes. He says to Abner, hey, dude, how good are you at your job? I mean, he taunts him. Look what I got. And Saul says, David, you're, you are much more mighty than me. He says, God has honored you today. He says, go your way. I'll not chase you anymore. Two times David had the opportunity to strike his enemy. Two times he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. When David, when someone threw a spear at David, he dodged. He didn't pick it up and throw it back. He didn't begin crafting his own. He didn't stew over it. He didn't, he didn't get people on his side. At the right time, he stole it. So what does that mean for you and me? When you absorb an offense in grace and you choose not to retaliate to that offense, it robs the offense and the offender of their power. Why would you want to give them any power? Take the spear. You've stolen their power when you act like God wants you to act. 
If you don't let Jesus transform your pain, you're going to transfer it to others. And what do we say that hurt people do? Hurt people, but healed people can heal others with God's help. So instead of fighting with bitterness, insecurity, with bitterness and insecurity, what am I going to do? I'm going to use the weapons of righteousness. Who knows what the weapons of righteousness are? I didn't know it till this week. This is so cool to me. Most of us know about the armor of God. We've talked about it in here. You got the belt of truth. You've got the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. You've got the, the uh, sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. Most people know about the armor of God. I don't know anybody who knows about the weapons of righteousness. Here it is in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Paul says to the Corinthian church, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We can use the what? Come on, help me out. We can use the what? In the right hand for attack and in the left hand for defense. Okay, so we know that the word of God is the sword of, the, of spirit. And we know that the, if we want to have the weapons of righteousness, we better, we better consult the word of God. So what are the weapons of righteousness? According to the word of God, forgiveness, grace, mercy, love. Because here's what Paul said to the Romans. Now check this out. The Romans hated Christians. Because they said Caesar is Lord, and the Christians said, no, Jesus is Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is that what normally happens in our world? (laughs) Now, let me say this. There's a massive difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And here it is. Forgiveness is my part. This is why it's a big deal to me when somebody, I don't, if somebody goes, sorry, I'm like, yeah, you are. No, I don't say that. I think it, the Lord won't let me say it. But what means something to me is when someone comes to me and says, will you forgive me? Because that, that gives me the power. And I have the power to say, nope, actually I don't. Not if I'm going to please God. Not if I'm going to be like David, I have to say Yes. I forgive you. Now, forgiveness is my part. Reconciliation is our part. That means it takes two to reconcile. When people leave the church angry and they refuse to reconcile, nothing I can do about that. I'm always ready for reconciliation. That's what I'm called to. But reconciliation requires confession and repentance. Two things. I have sinned against you, and I recognize I've sinned against you. Repentance is, I am. I do not want to do it again. Will you forgive me? And can we restore our relationship? Reconciliation takes two things, confession and repentance. Repentance is, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's not who I am. I've changed my mind. I'm going to change my actions. I will win you over by my actions. And here's why this is so important for followers of Christ. Forgiveness destroys the work of the devil. Do you want to throw that door open and leave it open? Say, come on, demons of hell, live in my heart, live in my mind, control my actions. Do you want to do that? Then you have to forgive because forgiveness destroys that stronghold. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 says this. Jesus, uh, this is from the Old Testament says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then look at this. I highlighted this. What does that last sentence say? 
the Lord will reward you. What that means is if you refuse to be kind and show forgiveness and mercy and grace, do you know who will reward you? It's not God. It's the enemy of God. Do you want Satan to reward you? That's all right. Good, good try. You do, the, you do the weapons of righteousness, the Lord rewards you. You don't do the weapons of righteousness, the pit of hell will pour out a reward for you that I don't think you want. Now, one of two things are going to happen when we forgive and trust God with justice. Two things. One, either God brings them back into relationship with you, or God gets them back. Vengeance is whose? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't dare take something from God that belongs to God. See, Jesus went to the cross silent. People threw spears at him. They mocked him. They jeered him. They, they beat him. They spit on him. They reviled him. He knows what it's like to have all of your friends abandon you because every one of the 12 disciples, they were gone. He knows what it's like to be, um, uh, what's the word I used? Betrayed by the one you trusted with your finances. And this is big. Jesus spoke up and stood up for people um, when injustice was done to others, but never when injustice was done to himself. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, that means I don't get to respond with a spear when injustice is done to me. He didn't seek justice because Jesus knew the Bible, which said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, so... So when does justice happen? In Saul's life, it was, it was just a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 31, verses 1 through 4. Now, the Philistines attacked Israel. Now, you remember last week I told you that, that David was going to fight with the Philistines against Israel. This is the battle we talked about. And so God saved him, and he goes, and he finds the, the town of Ziklag. His hometown had been burned, and his wife and children and everything had been taken. God spared him from this battle that we're reading about. Now, the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. Here's the bad thing. Your sin can cost you the lives of your children. I'm not talking about stubbing your toe. I'm talking about repeated sin, bitterness, throwing spears at others can cost your children their lives. And that's what happened with Saul here. Happened with David when he disobeyed the Lord. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines, because they were known to torture they would laugh at you and torture you mercilessly and make your death very slow and very painful. Paul, Saul says, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt me and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And can you say irony? The man who threw spears took his own life with one of his weapons. Poetic justice. Now, what do we need to learn? Let me, let me drop a spiritual truth bomb and we're finished. The weapon you use against others will be used against you, guaranteed. Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus also said in Matthew 7, 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It doesn't say not to judge. We talked about that for two weeks in our men's Bible study. 
It says you better be right with the Lord before you judge, and you better judge in the right way. You see, you have the right to remain silent. It seems that some of you don't have the ability, but you have the right. Spiritually, you have the responsibility to remain silent when injustice is done to you. And if you want to follow David's example, if you want to follow the Bible's example, here's the proper response. You go to the offending party in private. You ask for clarity. Help me understand. You seek reconciliation. You keep short accounts. means you forgive as soon as is possible so that the poison doesn't kill you and future generations. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. God, we pray that you would... um, you would help us have discernment to know whether the pain we're going through is from a fallen world, from spiritual attack, from the sin of others. You'd help us respond appropriately in a way that pleases you and sets us up to magnify your kingdom, magnify your glory and advance your kingdom. And that brings honor to your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.